Our scripture reading comes from John chapter 6, beginning at verse 59 through verse 71. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flowers. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this God's word lasts forever. And it does. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We just, I just received um, some difficult news. A family just received difficult news in our congregation about the loss of a loved one um, in a car accident. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for God's word. To, to come forth in power this morning, and we're also going to pray um, for the Pierce family as well. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that your word does stand forever, that Christians for, for millennia have considered what you've spoken uh, through your scriptures and have received life as a result of it. They've received transformation. And we all await the new creation. And we pray that that kind of transforming power would be unleashed somehow through the preaching of your word. Somehow use me. I pray that your spirit would would arrive and awaken us all, comfort us, um, address us as we need to be addressed. We pray, especially for the Pierce family, pray for Tim and the loss of his brother. I pray that you would Comfort his family during this difficult time, um, that they would, as a family, place their hope in Christ. I pray that Mark placed his hope and trust in Jesus, and we pray that you would help them, that your spirit, the God, you, the God of all comfort, would comfort them during this difficult time. Help us as a church as well to come alongside and to be a comfort. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in John's gospel. We've been looking at this passage for some time. This, this um, not the passage we just read, but Jesus feeding the 5,000. He gets on a boat. He goes to the other side. He meets all the people that he fed, which is more than five. It's a lot of people, maybe 15,000 people. 
And he began, last week, Jake carried us through the passage where he begins to explain what, what it all meant, the significance of it. And the people, they start to fall away. They start to, they leave them. Now, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out, um, La La Land. It was a movie, it was a fun movie. It was full of whimsy and fun. And yet, when you got to the end of the movie, it didn't end the way you expected it to end. And I won't, if you haven't seen it, I won't go into the ending. But basically, you have an expectation, and it didn't meet that expectation. There was a lot of disappointment about the ending of that movie. We could say the same thing about the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks, stranded on an island. I may tell a little bit more about this. You've had 20 years to see this one. Uh, he gets back, and yet his, his partner, who, she's moved on. Life's moved on without him. And he has to figure out how to plug back into life. after so. And there was a lot of disappointment about that ending. People didn't like the way it ended. One of my favorite movies, The Tree of Life, had a moment. It's a movie that focuses on a family in the 1960s, small-town American family. But there's like a 25-minute prehistoric scene where dinosaurs are like fighting each other. And, And in that moment in the movie, throngs of people in the theaters just left. They had an idea of how that movie was going to go. It did not go that way, and they they couldn't handle it. We all have this moment in our life. The script of our lives takes a turn that we did not see coming, a turn that we did not want to happen, a turn that makes us want to walk out of the theater, right? We don't like it. Our marriage is not the way we want. We've, 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 uh, our children are struggling in school. Uh, we didn't get accepted into the college we wanted to get accepted to. Something's happened that's thrown the script of our lives off. And we don't like it. We want to walk out. Well, this passage is going to help us deal with this question of what to do when the script of our life veers off course. At least it's the way we envisioned it would. As, as the, and we envisioned the script would go. So we got three uh, points this morning. Jesus reveals, the people grumble, the disciples remain. So Jesus reveals, the people grumble, and the disciples remain. And so Jesus, in the, in the verses leading up to our passage this morning, he's been revealing some, some very big things. The first thing that he's revealed is that he is God incarnate, come down from heaven. He's God in the flesh, come down from heaven. Verse 33 of chapter 6, it's not printed in your order, but you can, you can look in your Bibles. Verse 33, he says, he's the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 38, I've come from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent me. And the people are thinking, Really? Isn't this Joseph's son from Nazareth? He came down from heaven? They don't get it. He also mentions to them, the second thing he he tells them, is the cross. He alludes to it at least. Verse 51. 
Again, in your Bibles, you can find it, not in the verse that we have. He says, I am the living bread. You eat my flesh, you will live forever. Eat flesh? They don't like the sound of that. Now, he's alluding to the fact that his, his flesh is going to be ripped apart for us, for our spiritual nourishment, for our salvation. And they don't like it. They don't like the way it sounds. They've got an expectation of how this thing's supposed to go. He's supposed to raise his sword and say, charge. And they're supposed to charge Rome and take over and establish their political kingdom. That's what's supposed to happen. And now he's talking about eating his flesh? Doesn't make sense. Verse 62, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prickly one because commentators, they don't know how to interpret it. He says in verse 62, uh, what, what does he say? Verse 62, do you take offense, this is 61, he says, do you take offense at what I'm saying, everything I've said about the cross and bread of heaven coming down? Do you take offense at that? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I like what James Montgomery Boyce says about this. He says, Jesus is kind of saying something like this. You don't like the way the script is unfolding? What if I hit rewind? If you don't like it, I hit the rewind button and I went back to being a carpenter. I went back to being a teenager. I went back to being a boy. I went back to being a baby in my mother's womb. And I went up to heaven, ascending back to where I came from. Is that what you want? Because I came with a purpose. And if, if it's for you, I'm not going to do that. I can go back to heaven, but if the bread of heaven, this, this is how Jesus has described himself, the bread of heaven, the manna, the true manna that falls down from heaven, if I don't come all the way down, you don't eat and you can't live. I have to follow the will of the Father, which includes a descent, yes, to earth, but it includes a bigger descent than that. I'm following the will of the Father all the way to the cross, all the way to my death. That's how far the descent goes. The third thing that he reveals is that you can't do a thing to earn this bread. Verse 37. Again, not in your, hopefully you have your Bibles open so you can see this. Verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him to me. There's a moment in Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan says, Forrest, have you found Jesus? And do you remember what Forrest says? <laughs> I, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. And that's good theology. We don't, apart from God's Spirit awakening us, we don't, we're not looking for Jesus. The, the people weren't looking for, remember what Jesus said? You're, you're only here because your bellies are full. I gave you food to point to the spiritual realities of what I can do. But the only thing that got you here is the food. You're not looking for Jesus. The Father draws you in. That's how it works. This, is, this whole thing is initiated by the Father. He must draw you in. So Jesus says, I've come down from heaven. I'm God incarnate. And the people are like, uh, I, thought this was, I thought this was Joseph's son of Nazareth. The, Jesus says, I've, I've, I'm going to die. You must eat my flesh. And the people are thinking, no, you're going to destroy Rome. 
Jesus says, I choose you. You don't choose me. And the people are thinking, no, we came here on our own volition. We wanted to find you. We're, we're here for you because of you, Jesus. It's our will that's, that's driving this thing. And Jesus says, no. And so the people do a universally human thing. We're actually quite good at it as a human race. Do you know what they do? They grumble. They complain. They moan. They groan. In fact, grumbles has, has, grumbling has been the soundtrack to this whole chapter. John mentions it like a handful of times. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Now, back, back to the Moses story. You remember? The people pass through the Red Sea. God miraculously opens it up. The people miraculously gain passage through the sea to the wilderness. They've already left Egypt. And then this bread starts coming down from heaven. They don't have to work for it. It just arrives. He's providing this bread from heaven. Remember what the people are doing all the while? Groaning, grumbling. Our meat pots were full in Egypt. Uh, did, did you bring us out to the wilderness? To, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Which is, there's actually some, some humor to that because, you know, ask any five-year-old in the congregation, what do you know about the ancient Egyptians? It's the pyramids, Right? Those are just big, huge graves. And the people are saying, were there no graves that we had to come out here to die? And to be just, just rot in the desert? They're moaning. They're grumbling. Verse 41, grumbles. Verse 52, they're saying, how can this be? Verse 60, this is a tough saying, that what you've said. Who can listen to this? In verse 61, Jesus, he realized, he knows that even his disciples are grumbling. Think about it. Master Rabbi, God himself, has exposited his word and church, rapid church decline follows. The followers of Jesus just disperse like mad. That's what the faithful exposition of the word of God has done in this instance. And look, we're, we're no different. We grumble. We grumble uh, about God's work. We grumble about his church. We grumble about this church. Let's think about the people of Israel for just a moment. God has miraculously delivered them from the world's greatest power, Egypt. He's parted the sea. They've, they've gotten passage miraculously through the sea. Now they're getting bread from heaven. It's just miraculously arriving for them. And they're grumbling. Never mind all of that. They still grumble. It's tempting for us to do something similar. You know, we started this church right in the midst of a global pandemic. Never mind that, that that's when we started. Never mind that God provided us with somebody with the expertise to pivot instantly online. Never mind, you know, one of the difficulties for a new church is finding location. Never mind that we found... Uh, OC, outdoor pavilion space, which is perfect for gathering together during COVID. Never mind that we've had this gym for the last nine months, which has ventilation. God has provided this. Never mind that there's evidences of God's grace in our community builders, uh, in the community that's being formed and shaped, the gospel kind of unleashing its power in our midst. We grumble. We think, man, I don't like that he's preaching from a music stand. He needs a wooden pulpit. 
Word of God matters. Music stand doesn't say the Word of God. We need a wooden pulpit. And we need percussion. We, 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 got, we need more percussion. That's, good. That's, what, that's what we need. That's what's going to make this thing tick. Right? Or community builders that just last, the, the, our time together, it lasts so long and it goes so late. Or, you know, the church that we were at for 25 years, we had community there. We had community. We've been here for 10 months and we don't have community. Right? We, we all do it. Maybe we, maybe we verbalize it, but definitely in our hearts we're grumbling. We grumble. It's what we do. Tim Keller said that actually our grumbling about God's word to us is proof that it is God's word to us. The fact that we grumble to it. He says every culture has problems with what this Bible says. Every culture does. Think about it. Like American Christian, or not American Christian, American culture loves what this book says about the oppressed, the marginalized, the poor. We can't stand what it says about human sexuality, our culture. You go to the Middle East, they're hearty amen and thumbs up regarding what it says about human sexuality. Not so much excitement about what it says about forgiveness or the Trinity. You see, the Word of God challenges, confronts head-on every culture. And you know why it does that? Because it wasn't created by any single culture. It came down to us from God. And therefore, it offends every culture. It causes every culture to grumble because it hits every culture in different places where we're confronted. And we don't like to be confronted. We get the grumbles really quickly. Remember, you played sports. You had a good a coach that really you know, transformed your game. I guarantee you, you grumbled under that coach's coaching and conditioning. Right? Parents, have your kids ever grumbled? That may, be, that may be a sign of good parenting. That's part of our role is to kind of step in and say, like, what you want is not always what's best for you. I mean, that's, when, when we grumble, we don't like the way a situation is unfolding. We don't like it. I don't like the way my marriage is going. I don't like that my job just fell through. I don't like fill in the blank. And the reason we grumble is because we think we know the situation, we think we have more competence or wisdom or understanding than God does. And so we grumble. We grumble. And when we grumble, we underestimate just how confused we really are. I mean, do we really want life to go as we would have it go? I think I have proof that that's not a good idea. Um, this little thing right here, it's an incredible, powerful device. I mean, 300 years ago, if the most powerful person in the world wanted to summon the knowledge, I mean, you, you just couldn't do it. And I've got all of this knowledge and power in my, and guess what, in, in my pocket. And guess what? It is incredible at understanding what I want. If I say the word dog crate, I'm going to be scrolling through something. I'm going to see an ad because I just said it. Dog crate. Like, it knows, it, it's got these algorithms, and it knows what I want before I, I want it. There's a guy named Guillaume Cheslow. He's a French engineer, and he worked for YouTube 
this is like seven years ago, and he developed their algorithm for recommending videos, basically giving us the videos that we want. And when he implemented his algorithm, viewership went through the roof of YouTube. This is like 2014. And it wasn't long, though, before Chaslow realized that he had created a monster. He had created a monster. And, what he, and all he had done was given us what we wanted over and over. And we just click and click and click, and down and down we fall into the echo chamber of our own wants and wishes. All we hear are people that agree with us, and we grow more uh, entrenched in our position. We grow more hateful, more polarized. We can't get along. And all he did was figure out how to give us what we want when it comes to what we view. It's a dangerous thing. So back to the people here. The, 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 the crowds, they want a king who's going to crush Rome and establish a, a kingdom that'll last for a few decades. But they're, they're not seeing the fundamental problem, the human heart and sin. And that's why the, the, the grumbles are unwarranted. I mean, think about it. God incarnate is un, un, unveiling secret divine mysteries. The Word made flesh is issuing forth words of life. The Creator who created the world with words is unleashing words from His mouth, words that have creative power. And what do the people say when He explains these things to them? Peace out, Jesus. I don't, we don't want it. We're leaving. And they leave. They go. But not all of them leave. Which brings us to our final point. Um, the disciples remain. And, and you know, this is the question for us, I think. When the script of our life goes in a direction we don't like or want or would wish, what, what do we do? I think we do what the disciples did. And what do they do? Well, they remain. Look at verse 66 of the passage. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did you hear what Peter said? Where else do we go? Where else can we go? You've got words of eternal life. You're the Holy One of God. We're, just, we'll, we're sticking with you, Jesus. I don't get it. I don't even really like it. But I'm sticking with you. Where else can I go? There was a, I, I met with uh, one of you this week, and, 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 and this person said that in, uh, when they were younger, experienced intellectual doubts and questions regarding the faith, specifically related to the question of suffering, just generally, all all the suffering that goes on in the world, and how can this be, and and making sense of it, and it's difficult. And this person kind of considered the alternative of walking away. Uh, maybe, Maybe there is no God. If there is a God, maybe we have no idea what he's doing in the world. And this person described turning away from the faith as jumping into this great unknown abyss and turned around and clung back to Jesus. 
And I think that's what Peter's doing here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Now we have an advantage that his disciples did not have. You know, you'll look on the front of your order of worship. We didn't, we didn't forget that it's not Easter Sunday. We've got an empty tomb. We've had this since Easter Sunday. And there's a, there's a reason. Because we're still in the season of Easter. We're still in Eastertide. Where we're pondering until Pentecost, which comes in June, considering the resurrection. And we see how this ends for Jesus. It's an advantage for us. That while Jesus died, he was raised again to life on the third day. He, he, his life followed the trajectory of what Paul Miller calls the J-curve. The J-curve. Let me explain it. So Jesus came to earth. He's ministering on earth. He dies, even death on a cross. That's the low point. But then he's raised to life on the third day. He ascends back to the right hand of God the Father, where he's now ruling and reigning over all creation, over the universe. Christ is king. That's the J-curve. You see it? Okay? Our life, this is what, this is what uh, Jesus teaches us. Our union with Christ means that our life is on the same track as Jesus' life. You want to know how the script of your life is going to go? Look to Christ's life. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die daily. You're going to die. You're going to die. This is what Bonhoeffer said when he said uh, the, the German Christian who, who died at the hands of the Nazis uh, for his rejection of the, the Nazi regime. He said, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. And Christ said it himself, take up your cross, follow me. Our lives follow the same trajectory of Christ's life. I mean, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what's sanctification? What does it look like for us to grow more like Jesus is the question. And here's the answer. We're made more and more able to die to sin and to be made alive to righteousness. And this is the Christian claim. Yes, death, but death always follows resurrection. Every time. Every time. It feels like you're watching La La Land, right? The script takes a turn. It feels like a death. Maybe it's a death in, 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 in your family's life. Maybe it's not getting accepted into the college. Maybe it's um, the kids are having difficulty at school. Whatever it is, the job's not going well. I don't have a job anymore. Whatever, whatever the case may be, the script takes a turn that's a death. That's a death. And were it not for the death and resurrection of Christ, we might despair in that. But here's the promise. Every death follows resurrection if you're in Christ. Because our lives track with Christ. He died. He was raised. He ascended. That's our life. That's, what's, that's where this thing's heading. Don't judge a movie before it's over. Before the script is done. And this is, this, is, uh, this is the example that Peter and the disciples give. They stick to Jesus. And why does he stick to him? To whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. You have life. Where else can we go? And he also has power. 
resurrection power. And here's the promise. If the script of your life is going in a way you don't like, remember this. Resurrection power has the, has the capacity, the power to rip backwards in time and recast all of the suffering in a different light so that the sufferings of this present age will be replaced, Paul says, by an eternal weight of glory. That's the promise. And we have this beautiful picture, uh, uh, an example of how that happened, right? The death of Christ. It was this gross injustice. It was unfair from start to finish. There was no, he had no, he had no, he should not have been on that cross. It was a tragedy. And yet, come Resurrection Sunday, looking back, the whole thing's cast in a new light. What looked like the greatest tragedy the world has ever seen was the, became the hope of the world. It became the means by which we find forgiveness, atonement, all of those things. There are moments in our lives when we ask, we wonder, we have no idea what to do. Peter's words are instructive. Where, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, we need you in, in so many ways. We, we don't even know in exactly how we need you to address us, but we entrust ourselves to your sovereign care, to the story that you're writing, not the story that we want. Um, help us to repent from desiring uh, things to go a certain way and, and, and being driven to despair when they don't. We pray that you would help us to mourn well, to mourn as those with hope, hope in the resurrection, hope in a future in which uh, resurrection power recasts all of our suffering, all the suffering of the world uh, in a new light. And, and, and all of that suffering is replaced by glory. We need your spirit to make known to us these realities. We pray that it would as we move forward in this worship time, receiving your sacraments, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.